Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Tuttle podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are so glad you're here. Each week on our podcast, you'll hear messages from our pastor, Brother Marty Williams. If you'd like to join us for worship, we meet every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central in Tuttle, Oklahoma and online at fbctuttle.net. Now, let's get started. Well, this morning, in uh, some, at least, of our adult Bible studies, we, uh, we had an opportunity to study the first chapter of the, uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians. And, um, you know, I'm kind of a narrow focus kind of guy, and once I get my mind kind of dwell, excuse me, dwelling on something, it's hard for me to change gears. And, uh, and I was, had the opportunity this morning to teach uh, one of our adult Sunday school classes on, uh, on uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So guess what the message is about? How many of you were in an adult Sunday school or a Sunday school class where you studied 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? Okay, well that's about a third of you, so this is going to be brand new to the rest of you. Right? And it may be a bit redundant for others, although, although I pray that it is not. Um, so we're going to be in the book of 2 Thessalonians. I imagine we won't get through any more than the first four verses, so it won't be too much of a redundancy. And then, I mean, the, 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 the basis of, uh, of this book of 2 Thessalonians. I mean, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the book of 2 Thessalonians following, right, his first letter to them. And uh, can I just tell you, I mean, Paul just loved this church. He just loved this church. And, and some of the accolades that he makes about this church are, quite frankly, just unbelievable. And... Uh, I mean, it, it was as if as he wrote this letter, particularly this first chapter. Now, they weren't a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. You know that, right? There's not. I mean, we are all works of God in progress, right? But that being said, we, we are to make progress. <laughs> and, uh, and this church evidently is one that, that did that. And, uh, and in fact, I mean, you can just, I can just, uh, I mean, he didn't get to preach to him. He had to do it in letter. And I can just see him writing this with tears as he just says, you know, I boast, we boast about you guys to the other churches. And I, and I, and I think, you know, what would a church look like that, that the apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy, who are the stated Authors, I mean, Paul wrote it, but Silas and Timothy, we're going to see in verse 1, was with him. What is it that makes a church boastable? I mean, that's not a word, is it? I don't remember what the right word would be. But, but you, know, you know what I mean? You know, we, when we were looking for a pastor and, uh, and, and a youth pastor, you know, we had some of these questionnaires that we had folks fill out, and, and one of them was, you know, what, are, what do you think the strengths, right, of our church are? 
And, uh, and I don't remember what all the answers were, but there, I mean, there were quite a few. You know, among them was, well, we're a loving church. We're a giving church. I mean, there were several great things um, about, you know, that, that you guys wrote and thought about uh, your church, God's church that you attend. I mean, you guys know what I mean, right? Um, the church that worships in this place. The church that serves in this place. Just like the church that was in the city of Thessalonica that worshiped and served in that place. And as I, as I read some of these accolades, the first thing that I thought, and you guys, I mean, I know you guys think this is a weird thought, but I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? And my first thought was, man, I'd really like to talk to the pastors and elders of this church to find out what they did to make this church so great. You know, but then it, I mean, that was a fleeting thought because the reality soon hit that, you know, they really didn't have much to do with it any more than I have anything to do with it. God does it. God does it. But God doesn't do it like that everywhere. You know what I mean? I mean, the letters of Paul are, I mean, they're pretty varied, right? Uh, some of them we even read about in Revelation, right, where, where the angel says, you know, bad things about them. You know, you better change or I'm going to remove your lampstand. Those kind of things. But, and, and the church at Thessalonica, they had, they had issues, Right now, Thessalonica, it wasn't like a village. It was a big city. Probably a quarter of a million people lived there. It was the capital of one of the Roman provinces. Right? I mean, it was a big deal. It wasn't, it wasn't a small place, although I have no idea how big the church was. Right? No idea at all. Uh, I suspect it was bigger than what I think. Because my first thought is, well, the things that he says about them, <laughs> there can't be very many of them. Because I know people, right? And for everybody to be growing in their faith and for everybody to be loving everybody else is almost unheard of. So my first thought is, I bet they're a little bitty, I bet they're a little bitty church. <laughs> right? But you know what? God does amazing things. And, and I want to look this morning at, at some of the, attrib- I don't know whether to call them attributes, characteristics, whatever, of this church at Thessalonica that was a church that the Apostle Paul was proud of. It wasn't his, I mean, he was proud of all of his churches, but most of the letters that were written, right, were letters written to get on to people. You know, I had a conversation with a pastor, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And, and uh, of course, you know, the question that pastors ask, I don't anymore, but the question that pastors ask is, well, how's things going at your church? I told him, well, they're just a bunch of sinners. You know, they got problems. He looked at me like real funny. I said, that's not unusual. We wouldn't even have a New Testament if the Apostle Paul didn't write the churches just like mine. Right? And I don't mean anything bad by that. Right? It's just, there are, no, there are no perfect churches. But this church at Thessalonica was obviously to Paul a pretty special church. And uh, I'm going to read, read this to you and then just make some comments and talk about it a little bit. But uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, 
It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Now, Silvanus is, you might know him better as Silas. Paul and Silas were on the second missionary journey. They founded this, this church at Thessalonica. So, Silvanus is, is Silas. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. I want to stop right there and I want to talk to you about four or five different attributes of this church. And some of them may seem painfully obvious, right? But I submit to you that they're not. The first thing is, this church was a saved church. All of them. This church was a saved church. Paul writes in, in verse 1, To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They were a saved church. You know, to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the truth that Christians are in God, that are in the Lord Jesus Christ, that are in, in personal, in spiritual, and eternal union with God is a distinctive Christian belief. There's no other religion that believes that, that the adherents or the followers can be in the Almighty. Peter teaches that that uh, that that um, let me get back. Peter says in second second Peter one verses two and four two through four, he says, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord." As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live. I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself to me. See, Christianity is not just something that you believe. Christianity is something that you become. It is not merely an external systems of belief that be because you believe this way, you act this way. When we are truly saved, then God becomes our Father and it changes who we are. We are in God. He goes on to say that it's, 
It's our Father, right? I mean, He puts Himself in union, right there in union with them, right? To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Twice He associates Himself with them. He identifies God as a source of grace. Grace, God's unmerited favor and peace is the result of that grace. Now, now you might think, Pastor, what is the big deal? You know, aren't, isn't everybody in the church saved? And I would tell you, yes. Everybody that is in the church, in the real church, is saved. But everybody that comes to the church building is not. Coming into the church building does not make you a child of God. Only God can make you a child of God and birth you into the church. You become a part of the church, not by walking an aisle. I mean, we have formal memberships at this church, right? I mean, we, you identify with us. You want to be a part of us. We want you to be a part of us. So we will accept members and talk about belief systems and, and identify that you believe in the, the, the truths that this church believes in. And then we accept you as a member or baptize you as a member. And, and it's kind of a formal thing, which, by the way, lots and lots and lots of churches don't do anymore. We still do. You know, the Bible clearly calls people that are Christians members says you are members one of another, right? So there's nothing wrong with being a, a member of the church. But, but just because you do that does not make you a legitimate part of the church of Jesus Christ. That only comes by being birthed into the Christ through faith, by God's grace. It's not an automatic thing. Hallelujah, amen, that's right. It's not an automatic thing. This church was a saved church. Now, I would, I would also say that the, that the converse is also true. And this isn't going to preach very good. Right? But here's the deal. If you are saved, you are part of the church. So where have you been? <laughs> I mean, you're laughing, but you know what I mean. Right? If you are saved, you are part of the church. It is part and parcel with God granting you eternal life. He grants you eternal life. He grants you abundant lives and bursts you into a spiritual family that is called the church. And it ain't right for you to be saved and not be part of the church. I don't know how else to be any more blunt about it. And frankly, I'm not even real necessarily talking about this church. Some of you that are visiting here today with your mom, you are, you are a vital part of a church somewhere else, and you're just visiting us. That's cool, right? I'm not, not trying to get you to come to this church necessarily, right? But it is a foreign thing in the Bible for somebody to be saved 
and think they can be excluded from the church. It doesn't work. That's not, that's not something that we ought to um, believe or accept. Now, coming to church doesn't save you. I already said that, right? You guys know that, right? So I'm not bound by legalism here. I'm not talking about obeying some kind of law. I'm talking about the new birth that Christ gives us when He saves us and makes us a new creation, births us into a family that we should have a desire to be a part of. This church was a saved church. And that's not, that doesn't just go without saying, right? This church was a saved church. Second thing I want us to see about this church is that they were not only saved, but they were also growing. They were also growing. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brothers, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. There's just so many um, exclamation points and stuff in that. He says, we thank God for you because your faith grows exceedingly. The, the, the word is, grows exceedingly beyond what I even expected. Right? Other churches, you remember, Paul have to say, why don't you grow up? I have to feed you milk of the word because you're not able to take the meat. But to this church, he said, you are growing exceedingly great in your faith. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine what that would look like. You know, as I was teaching Sunday school this morning, the first thing I thought of is a church that is growing exceedingly great in his faith really probably doesn't even need any formal Sunday school teachers. They're all like our men's class that meets back here. They're all men of God, and we get together and open the Bible, and we just teach each other. Amen? You guys don't want to say amen to that because we're so institutionalized. We can't think that way. Right? But, but Paul says this church was growing exceedingly in their faith, which, by the way, was an answer to his prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he prayed that God would grow them in their faith. And here he's saying, praise God, I thank God for you, because you all are growing exceedingly in your faith. This was a church that was growing in their faith. How do you grow in your faith. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes from the Word of God. You grow in your faith. You grow exceedingly in your faith by growing in your knowledge of God. You know what? You just can't, you can't spend time in the Word of God understanding more of the character of God and the nature of God and the love of God. You know, I, I couldn't help but think when we were singing those songs, and I don't remember which one, uh, which one we were singing now, but one of them said something like, I'll never know why He saved me. Something like that. Well, baloney. I know why. Because I know the Word of God. He loves me. He loved me. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. 
that those who believe in him might have eternal life. It's because of the love of God that he saved me. And it's because of the love of God that he saved you. And it's because of the love of God that he saved that person that said they didn't know why. I mean, they didn't exactly say that, right? But because I knew what I was getting ready to preach, that's the way I, that's the way I took it. But you see, if we are growing in our knowledge of God, and the character of God, and the nature of God, and what He has done for us, and what it means to us, then we are growing exceedingly in faith. And you know what, church? <laughs> I don't mean this harsh, but here's the deal. There is no excuse for you not to grow exceedingly in your faith. And you know what? You never get there. You can grow exceedingly in your faith every day from now until you die by spending time in the Word of God and getting to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's part of what made this church a church that Paul said, Oh, we boast about you to the other churches. Because you're growing exceedingly in your faith. And then the second thing that he says, the, the other thing about this church, not only were they growing in their faith, right? But it says they were abounding in love for one another. Now this is, I mean, this is pretty amazing. They were abounding in their love for one another. And the, 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 uh, the, the terminology is kind of strange, right? And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. So it's like, like not everybody's loving each other just kind of in general, but every single person growing in love for every other person. You know, it's like, you know, y'all are growing in love, right? You guys know what the plural of y'all is, right? All y'all, right? I mean, it's, it's every single one of them. I can't even imagine what that would look like. Oh, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. You know, we experience it, I think, in our, in our families, for sure, sometimes. You know, as we love each other, as we care for each other, as we meet each other's needs, as we would do anything for somebody else, probably some of you in here have already been to the Seminole area to help people or to serve on disaster relief teams or to whatever. You know, that, those are the things that love looks like, right? It's, it's, I mean, Jesus teaches us what love looks like. It is a sacrificial serving and giving to one another. And not just in general, right? Not like, you know, putting a 50 in the offering plate and say, there, I love my church. But engagement in people's lives. That's what it has to look like. And for all of them to be doing that, that blows my mind. Right? I can guarantee one thing, one thing that I know about this church and their love for one another. And I don't care how big it was, but somehow, some way, they knew each other. They knew each other. Because you can't abound in love, everyone for the other, 
when you're strangers. You can do it generally, but you can't do it as specifically as what this was talking about. So there had to be some way that they knew each other. That's one of the reasons I say, well, it must have been a really, really small group. Because I guarantee you, I can pick out two or three of you and introduce you, and you, wouldn't have, you might have seen them for months or years or whatever, but you don't know who they are, right? I could do that just in this room of, what, 125 of us or so. But to, to love one another, there's got to be engagement in people's lives. Somehow, some way. You know, we, we have uh, Sunday school classes that we have. And I'm a proponent of small Sunday school classes, right? I mean, I know there are Sunday school classes that get, you know, that are big and people like the Bible teacher. And I mean, I've got a, I've got a cousin that teaches at a church and there's like 150 people in his Sunday school class, right? And that's, and that's cool, but that's not a Sunday school class. That's a church, right? If that's going to be the Sunday school class, then if you're going to do it right, you better have some small groups of people that are caring for one another, that are checking on one another, that are knowing one another, and sharing it with others so that we can demonstrate the love of God in each other's lives by showing love, by growing in our love for one another. And you know what? That is not easy. That is not easy. I mean, for some of you, it's easy, or it sounds easy, right? Because you've been doing it for a long, long time, right? But, but for others, I mean, we live in a culture that is busy. I'm telling you, busy, busy, busy. We catch ourselves coming and going. I've got so much stuff on my calendar for the next two weeks, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing, Right? But, but the church that loves one another is a church that somehow finds ways to engage with people so that they can demonstrate the love of God that's in their life. So the church that Paul boasts about is a church that loves one another. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. You remember? Your love for one another. No matter what you say, no matter what you don't say, doesn't matter where you live, they will know that you are Christians by your love for one another. The fourth thing, this was a church that persevered and endured in the midst of persecutions. He says, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. And my, this translation says, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. If we were to go through the, the different translations, it, we could say that we boast of you among the churches of God for your perseverance. We boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness. I don't know what your translation says, but all of those are kind of saying the same thing. This, this steadfastness, this patience, this endurance, this perseverance is, a, is an ability to stay under 
right? And I asked the Sunday school class this morning, in, in, our, in your mind, is perseverance and steadfastness the same thing? And we kind of come to the conclusion, and I think you probably might too, that, that at least in our mind, those don't appear to be the exact same thing, right? A, a steadfastness would be, okay, I'm not, I'm not moving. Come at me what you will, right? I'm staying here. I'm going to remain steadfast. I'm going to endure. I'm going to be patient, right? Where perseverance to me, conjures up this thought of not only standing my ground, right, but I'm trying to take some too. You know what I mean? You guys get, I mean, do you get that? Is it the same with you? You have those same kind of thoughts about, about what that may mean? And Paul says that this church was like that, right? We boast of you for your patience and for your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. The word persecutions means to pursue. We, uh, we, we, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that I really get it. I don't, I don't feel like I've ever been pursued because of the gospel. That I've ever been pursued because of my beliefs. Because I've ever been pursued because somebody doesn't agree with my beliefs about God. There are places where that happens all the time. I think of the Apostle Paul, who before he was Paul was Saul. The Bible tells us that Saul persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. He pursued them to put them in jail because they were, didn't believe like what they thought God should be like. He pursued them. He persecuted them. There are places where, where that happens today. You know, I think about, I think about uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the stories, the stories that we heard. And this is going to sound bad. I don't mean it bad. The stories that we heard, and, and, and I, I shared some of those about Ukrainian pastors and Ukrainian missionaries that said, we are not leaving we are going to stay in this battle where people are trying to overrun us, where people are trying to persecute us. We are going to stay and share the gospel. Right? Perseverance. I read an interview with uh, some missionary, and, uh, and it was intended to be a positive thing, although i got to tell you, I kind of, after reading that Ukrainian stuff, I kind of took it a little bit negatively. But his words were, we just had no time. We had to get out of there as fast as we could. It's like, I wonder if that was perseverance. I wonder if that was steadfastness. Now, I don't, I can't judge a man. You know what I mean? I can't, I, I have no idea what the circumstances are. I would have been one probably that would say, i got to get my family out of here and get us to safety. But you see, that's, that's different than what Paul is giving this church accolades about. This church perseveres in the midst of persecutions. This church is steadfast in the midst of tribulations. 
Tribulations are a little bit different than persecutions. The reason it uses two words. Tribulations are pressures and distress, right? Maybe we experience, maybe we, we understand what it means to experience a little bit of that, right? But the, the point of the passage is that one who is a true believer in God, in fact, this passage teaches that God allows those things, allows those persecutions and tribulations, right, that we might become fully mature followers of Christ. And you know what? We do everything that we can to avoid it. To avoid distress. To avoid persecution. Somehow we think if we're avoiding persecution, we must be doing things right. When the actually the opposite is what's really true. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But in me, I have overcome the world. That doesn't mean that he's going to free us from tribulations. Scripture is clear that the person that faithfully follows the Word of God and is faithful to live out his salvation will be persecuted and have tribulation. I'm not sure that I even know really what that looks like. But... We, we strive all that we can to change our culture for the good. Right? I mean, and I, I get that. You know, Christians have been praying. Christians have been protesting. Christian, I don't, marching, maybe that's a better word. Christians have been proclaiming, looking for uh, Roe versus Wade to be overturned. For 50 years, right? Because we as the people of God in general, we believe that abortion is wrong and that we would like to see the ways of God win out, right? And I don't mean to put thoughts or words in your mind. It's just me talking, right? And, and this week it was leaked, right? Leaked. That possibly the opinion of the Supreme Court might be to overturn Roe versus Wade federally and allow that decision to come back to the states. And immediately, um, some start rejoicing. Which, which you know, I'm, I'm one, hey, that's great. Right? And immediately, some start protesting and marching. Right? And even though it's only been leaked, it's not even a sure thing yet. And yet the battle is raging larger than it was last week. Because this world has a system of evil that is of the devil that is always going to be opposed to the things of God and to the Spirit of God that lives in me. And if I am submissive to the Spirit of God, then I understand these things and I know these things. But it ain't easy. I guarantee you right now, if you were to take a public stance, post on your Facebook, post on your Twitter account, put a sign in your yard, whatever it is, 
of how you support whatever that, you know, the overturning of that, or you are pro-life, right, you would be persecuted. You would have some tribulation. You would have people at you or after you for what you're proclaiming. And I want to tell you, I'm, you know, the, the verbiage, and I don't really mean to make this a soapbox because there's a lot of them I can get on, and I probably will before I get finished. I am not against a woman's right to choose. I am not against women's health care. You understand that? I'm not against those things. But I am for the Word of God that says that I was created in my mother's womb before anybody even had a thought of me. And I am for a holy scripture of God that says, don't kill. I am not against anything else. It's what I'm for. But what I'm for will set me apart for tribulation. And it will you too. And we, we have become so accustomed to being nice, being quiet. The, the word that the culture uses is tolerant, being tolerant. That now, if you voice something that disagrees with the general worldly views, which are of the devil, always, I don't care what they are, this is just one, you're going to be at odds if you're a Christian. And you will be persecuted and you will have tribulation. List a number of things. That, that, that you don't have to, I'm not talking about hating people. I'm not talking about uh, making a big issue of stuff. I am simply saying, here's a line that's drawn. I believe that God's on this side, so stand I here. And I don't care, you know, we, are, we have a culture that's eaten up with sex. You can watch any TV show. And you'll just see it from 7 o'clock earlier than that till whenever you want to go to bed. Right? Our culture seems to value promiscuity. We seem to value adultery. We seem to value homosexuality. We seem to value all kinds of stuff that is clearly against the Word of God. And I am not, I am not anti-homosexual. I am pro-Word of God. And I do not hate homosexuals. If I am going to be obedient to the Spirit of God within me, I am going to love people. I am, I am going to meet the needs of people. I am going to share the gospel with people. I am not going to hate them. And, but if where I stand causes the culture to think I hate... I'm staying here. I'm not coming across so that people might like me better. Or so that people might not say something bad about me. And I'm telling you folks, we live in a culture right now. Right now. In this place. 
that stances like that are real. We may be able to come into this building and love on one another and share the Word of God together and fellowship together and get away from it. But you know what? In about ten minutes we're leaving. And we're going back out there. And back out there into a culture that disagrees with everything that you stand for if you're a child of God and you're standing on the truth of the Word of God. This was a church that did that. And they were persecuted. And they had tribulation. And Paul says, I love you and I thank God for you because you are keeping on in the midst of it. I want to be, I want to be a part of that church. I am a part of that church, by the way. But, but we should desire to be that kind of a church. To be a part of that kind of, in the big church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be, stand with others shoulder to shoulder. There are people, there are brothers and sisters in Christ meeting in different buildings all over everywhere. You guys know that, right? This is not the only church. I'm not just preaching about this. I'm talking about we stand shoulder to shoulder, standing on the truth of the Word of God. And no matter what comes, we don't cave. We don't condone it. We don't pander to it. Doesn't mean I'm giving you permission to be mean. I'm not giving you permission to be mean. We stand in love. We love people. But when forced into one side or the other, we always stand with Christ and His church. Last thing about this church. There's so much more stuff I could talk about with that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. Last thing about this church is that they were a kingdom-focused church. Verse 5 says, he says, verse 4 says, So we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer. Do you know that suffering is just part of God's plan for us to grow. Boy, I hate to have to preach that. Don't you hate to have to hear that? I hate to have to hear it. But it's true. Over and over in Scripture, we see that God uses persecution, tribulation, suffering to do His work in our own lives to grow into the mature Christ-like people that He intends us to be. And that's the reason that we endure through it. Because God sends it to us. Yes, evil is of the devil. Right? But God uses it for our own good. Just like He told Joseph, right? When Joseph was sold into slavery... Treated as a slave, thrown in prison, all of the bad stuff that happened. When Joseph had an opportunity to face his brothers that did it to him, that threw him in that pit, that sold him for those pieces of silver, 
He said, you may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Can I tell you something? I don't get that. But it's true. It's one of those things that we must just believe. God, God causes the persecution and the tribulation. It is evidence It is evidence in our life that we are children of God. That's what, that's what it says. And yet we do everything that we can to avoid it. God doesn't intend it to be avoided. He intends on us to move through it, to grow from it. Right? And then the, the last part of this scripture, and I don't know if I have it or not. I don't know if I have it on the screen or not. But the last part of this scripture says, knowing, knowing that it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulations those who trouble you. To give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This church had a proper kingdom perspective. They had a proper perspective of what God was doing, bringing them suffering. They had a proper perspective that staying the course On God's side, God wins. One day, He's coming back. Do we live like we really believe that? One day, He's coming back. And it says, to you who have endured, you will find rest. <laughs> I mean, that's a, it's a blissful word. Right? It's I've been struggling and now all is good. But to the evil, they will find eternal destruction away from the presence of God. And can I just tell you, that ought not make you happy. That ought to break our hearts. Because those people that, that propagate the world's evil system that we are so against, there are people that's going to hell. And God has left us, His church, here to share the good news of life and forgiveness with them. I don't find much comfort in thinking that they will all be just, that they'll get theirs. That's God's part. And yes, it's a truth. But God has called me to love my enemies. He's called me to forgive those that sin against you. He's called me to be steadfast and endure. And we leave everything else up to Him. The culture that we live in is not the same as it was 50 years ago. We do not live predominantly, predominantly in a Christian culture. We live predominantly in a lost world. And the kingdom of God is strong enough and powerful enough that we as its citizens and children of God, it's time for us to take a stand. However we might be able to do that, 
that we not cater and crave to the culture, to the things of the world. Not that we're mean, but we refuse to quit and to give in. Lord, I just thank you for these, your people. Lord, I thank you that we serve a God who is all-powerful, who controls the beginning all the way to the end, who is mighty and victorious and offers us eternal life. And Lord, I pray that in the closing moments of this service, God, that if there are people who here who have, who have never yielded themselves to your call on their life to, to trust you, to turn in faith to you, Lord, I pray that they might do that this morning. And Lord, if there are those that are here that, that would confess even within themselves that I have caved a little bit. I have believed some of the lies. Lord, I pray that you would grant us the ability, God, to repent and to fully follow you. Lord, I pray that you would grant us wisdom, Lord, in how to live, what to say, what to write, how to, how to dialogue with people, people that you love, God, give us boldness like never before. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. God, stand with me. Hey friends, before you go, if you have a prayer request, we invite you to send us an email at prayforyou@att.net. That's P-R-A-Y, the number four, Y-O-U, at att.net. Or call the church office at 405-381-2492. If you'd like to learn more about our children's, youth, men's, women's, or senior adult ministries, visit our website at fbctuttle.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We love you and we hope you have a blessed week.